We'll be in Mark chapter number 14 today. Mark chapter 14 as we're continuing our series through this book and going chapter by chapter each Sunday. It's amazing to me how God orchestrates this. We prayed about where to go after we finished our walk through the Word series where we went through all 66 books of the Bible and God impressed us with this Gospel of Mark. And I'm not smart enough to put all this together, but here we are in chapter 14. Uh, on the fifth Sunday, every time that there's a fifth Sunday, that's when we have the Lord's Supper. Right here in Mark 14 is where Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper with His disciples on a day that we're scheduled to do uh, communion, the Lord's Supper. So it just shows that you know God is working. The Holy Spirit moves in planning as well as He does in those uh, spontaneous moments of worship but also in planning and foresight and things like that. So he works in multiple different ways. And it's just neat to see how God brings all of this together for us today. And it just is an encouragement to me to know that God is wanting us to be right where we are today. Not just for me personally, although this passage is ministered to me in a great way, but for each one of us who is here. He has something to say uh, to us if we will listen and hear what he has to say. And so to that end, let's go to him in prayer and I just ask him uh, to give us receptive hearts. Dear Lord, we thank you for uh, the songs that have been sung that uh, uh, lift up and magnify and exalt our Lord and Savior Jesus. We ask you in this hour that you would uh, help us and speak to us uh, the words uh, from your holy word and that You would help it to find a place in each one of our hearts. Lord, help us to be able to push out the distractions, to push out the notifications that come on our phone, to push out all the things that are calling our attention away from You and from Your Word, and help us to be able to hear from You today. If we leave this place and we just hear some singing, and they hear some preaching, but we haven't heard from the Lord, and we've missed it. God, all is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One comes down. We ask that You would drive Your Word home into our heads and into our hearts. And we thank You for what You will do. In Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. In Mark 14, we're coming to a special place. And in chapter 15, we're going to see Jesus on the cross. But as we're leading up to the cross, this Last few days of Jesus' life here on earth. And as it's coming to a close, uh, we see it is all seemingly falling apart. You know, you've had those uh, Thanksgiving dinners and Christmas dinners and maybe some other special holiday events where everything seemed to go wrong, everything seemed to uh, turn out wrong. Uh, The turkey was burnt and, you know, everything just messed up and it was all just a catastrophe. Uh, well, here in Jesus' last few days, things were beginning, it seemed, from the outside looking in, from our limited human perspective, things seemed to be falling apart at the seams. And yet, Jesus is in control and the plan of God is going forward. And this truth drives throughout this chapter that nothing can stop, nothing can thwart the plans of God. And God's will is going forward, no matter what. In chapter 14, verse 1 and 2, and I'm going to summarize uh, large sections of this chapter because it is 
72 verses long, but it's so rich. I want to really uh, focus in on the central message this chapter is teaching and draw out these truths. So you'll just have to forgive me for summarizing some sections of it, but it's worth your time and effort to go back and to review it and to study it on your own. But notice how it starts in verses 1 and 2 of Mark 14. After two days was the feast of the Passover and of unleavened bread. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they may take Him by craft and put Him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. So there's already some things set in motion to bring Jesus down, to uh, put Him on a cross, to get rid of Him, to stamp out this man. These religious leaders had chance after chance after chance to repent, to get right with God. Jesus spoke to them directly in chapter 12 as He finished His public ministry and gave them one last opportunity, one more chance to get right. But in their satanic hatred for Jesus, they went further and further and further into hate, into rebellion against the very God they said they were serving. You see, that's what religion does. That's what legalism does. It turns you totally against the Jesus and the God that you think that you're serving, the one that you think you're serving. These religious people were missing it all. They were missing Jesus and they missed it all. So now they're trying to figure out how do we kill this guy? How do we get rid of him? In verses 3-9, through we see a beautiful picture of worship, of pure worship. Someone coming to Jesus. We saw the woman there at the end of chapter 12 Uh, throwing herself into the hands of God completely, saying, God, I'm giving everything, literally everything that I have, I'm putting it into Your hands. And these men don't get it. These religious leaders don't get it. The disciples don't even get it, as we see later in chapter 14. But these women understand. These women get what it's all about. In chapter 14, verse 3, And He is in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper. As he sat at meat, as they're having this meal, there came a woman having an alabaster box of an ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on his head. This vial that she has, uh, this would have cost a year's wages, uh, 300 denarius. A denarius is a day's wages. Can you imagine taking your whole salary for one year and buying this very precious bottle of ointment and And this is so precious to you. I mean, if it's worth a year's salary, you're going to keep it in a safe. You're going to keep it under lock and key. If you see your kids even getting close to it, they're getting a spanking, you know what I'm saying? And you're saying, get away from that. That's cost me a year's salary. Don't even touch it. Don't even sniff it. And, And yet this woman comes and breaks it and pours it over the head of Jesus in an act of worship, just pouring out herself Showing Jesus that you are worth everything. You are worth the most precious thing that I have. My most precious possession. I just give it to you in an act of worship. Uh, A beautiful picture. And then in verse 4, And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? What a waste! These people, as we find out, I believe that these are the disciples. This is part of the twelve. And other gospel writers tell us that Judas was one of the ringleaders of this situation. You know, this woman could have said, 
those disciples are a bunch of hypocrites. I brought my very best to Jesus and all they did was criticize me. All they did was talk bad about me. Those church people, you know, they, you can't go to church. I'd go to church if it wasn't for the church people. That did not distract this woman from worshiping Jesus and that should not distract us from worshiping Jesus. There's going to be hypocrites in every church wherever you go. There's going to be people who don't love Jesus the way that they say they do and aren't right with Him and aren't as spiritual as they ought to be. But that is not an excuse for us worshiping Jesus. Our attention needs to be on Him, not on everybody else around us. And this woman does a wonderful thing and teaches us that here. But their excuse was this could have been sold for more than 300 pence, 300 denarius, and could have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. Think of all the good this money could have done. If she had just sold this and brought us the money, we could have used it to help so many people. Jesus said, let her alone. Why are you troubling her? She has wrought a good work on me. She has done the right thing, Jesus says. Don't ever put down on somebody else's worship. You may not be able to understand why they're doing what they're doing. Don't put down on their worship. You have the poor with you always, Jesus says. Now that's not saying don't care about the poor. No, Jesus is saying, look, if you cared so much about the poor, you could have done something for them yesterday and the day before and the day before. There's poor people all around you. But I'm not going to be here with you very long and you need to be focused on me. And he says in verse 7, You have the poor with you always, and whensoever you will, you can do them good. But me, you have not always. She has done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. They still didn't get it, but she did. Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she has done shall be spoken for a memorial of her. And we remember this woman. Other Gospels tell us that this is Mary, the, excuse me, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And we see that this Mary comes with worship in her heart. What a beautiful picture this is. And we're still talking about her and her act of worship over almost 2,000 years later today. And Jesus said that would be the case. That when this Gospel is preached throughout the whole world, Here we are, thousands of miles away from where this happened, and yet we're still drawing from it, yet we're still being inspired by her act of worship, and we're still learning these lessons today. And then, gets back to verses 1 and 2. It's like a parenthesis or like an envelope around this section of worship. They had the scheme in verses 1 and 2, and here it comes again in 10 and 11. Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray him unto them. When they heard it, they were glad, and they promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Judas Iscariot, he makes the arrangements to betray Jesus. And then they go between verse 12 and 26. They have this wonderful Passover meal. In verses 12 to 16, they make some preparations for this meal. And then in verse 17 down to verse 21, let's notice these verses as Jesus predicts His betrayal. And in the evening, He comes to the twelve. Excuse me, He comes with the twelve. And as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Verily or truly, I say to you, one of you that eats with Me will betray Me. And they began to be sorrowful and to say to Him one by one, Is it I? And another said, Is it I? 
none of them pointed at Judas and said, you've got to watch that sneaky guy, you know, look out for Judas, he's the one. Yeah, yeah, watch this guy, you know, he's a real character. We know uh, he, he made fun of Mary for her worship, he's not right with God. No, they all were asking, is it me, is it me, is it me? They, Judas blended in with everybody else. He was just like the rest of them. But Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. And they began to be sorrowful. There's a lot of emotion in this chapter. We're going to point that out as we go through it. As he answered and said to them, it is one of the twelve that dips with me in the dish. The Son of Man indeed goes as it's written uh, of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Good it were. It would have been better for that man if he had never been born. And as they did eat, Jesus took the bread and blessed and break it. And this is what we're going to be partaking in in just a few minutes here in the Lord's Supper. The body and the blood of Jesus as they are a remembrance to us. That's why we have embossed on the front of this table, this do in remembrance of me. It's an act of worship in remembrance of the body of Jesus that was broken for us. The blood of Jesus that was shed for us. Take and eat. This is my body, he says in verse 22. And the church is called the body of Christ, right? And so we are in His body. And we are one together. We are one body in and through what Jesus did for us as we're going through chapter 14 and 15. Take and eat. This is my body. In verse 23, He took the cup. And when He had given thanks, He gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And He said unto them, This is My blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many. Verily I say unto you, I will drink it no more. I will drink no more of the fruit of the vine until that day that I drink it new in the kingdom of God. He's preparing them for the sacrifice that's about to come. And they are having a Passover meal right here. And what it says here in verse 26, And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Uh, that hymn uh, was most likely Psalm 118. Now, uh, hold your place there in Mark 14 and, and flip over to Psalm 118. Uh, this came up last time I preached two weeks ago when Jesus was having that conversation back with those religious leaders. Now, I want to just point out a couple of verses. Uh, during the week of Passover, uh, they will sing... Uh, starting about Psalm 113 through 118. That was part of the exercise of this Passover. So can you imagine all throughout Jerusalem, all over that city, from house to house, people are gathering, people are singing, people are singing this psalm. Most likely that's what they sang here on that day. And I won't take the time to read uh, the whole thing. I want to point out the very end of Psalm 118, starting in verse 22. See if this sounds familiar to a couple weeks ago. The stone which the builders rejected is become the headstone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord, O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord, which has shown us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even to the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, 
and I will praise Thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt Thee. O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. They're singing that as they're having the Passover and as Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. And from house to house, all throughout Jerusalem, that is being echoed. And what Jesus had told the religious leaders a few days before is that I am that cornerstone. I am that one. The stone that the builders rejected is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. On the day of His triumphal entry into Jerusalem, blessed is He that comes in the name of the Lord. And they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, save, oh save. Do you see, all of this was fulfilled in Jesus. And it is all pointing to Him. Even in this moment, this is what I want you to get, even in this moment, uh, these people had another chance. He was extending mercy to those who were His enemies. He was extending grace to those who were His enemies. They were singing that in their own Passover meal, wherever they were taking that. And I'm sure Jesus' words to them are ringing in their ears as they're reminded of what Jesus had said. He is the fulfillment of that wonderful passage. He is the salvation that's come from the Lord. So we see that He institutes this Lord's Supper with His disciples, and then they go out to the Mount of Olives. And we're getting to where I really want to focus on today as we go through this passage together. In verse 27, down to verse 42, we see that Jesus is abandoned by His disciples. He's abandoned in their indifference. They don't seem to care anymore. And we're going to point these things out. I'm going to read a couple of verses. But I just want to summarize where the rest of the chapter goes before we jump right into it. In verse 43 to 52, here comes Judas to betray Him. So let's skip on there. And I want to come back to the heart of this chapter here with Jesus in the garden and really focus in on that. In verse 43, And immediately while He was speaking, comes Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves uh, from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And he that betrayed him gave him a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he goes straightway to him. He goes immediately to Jesus and said, Master, Master, and he kissed him. Uh, The word kiss here, is something that's a very tender word in the original language, and it implies just a, a very, like a close friend, a kind of a, a firm handshake or a hug that you would give a friend that you hadn't seen in a long time. And what a hypocrite we say Judas was, and rightfully so, he was at the top of the line. Oh, Jesus, Master, oh, it's so great to see you. How are you doing? How you been? And, uh, you know, in Jesus' mind, and if it was me, if I was Jesus, uh, you know, probably just you know, leaned back and got him right in the in the in the in the neck or something. I don't know. There's an old little poem I heard when I was a kid. The shortest fight I ever saw was a left to the body and a right to the jaw. So, you kids, you can go to school saying that poem tomorrow. That's that's a free little poem there. But uh, and don't try that out at school, please. Don't try that out at school or and you adults don't try that out at work with your boss either, please. <laughs> you know, but. Uh, if I was in Jesus' shoes right here, that's what I'd be thinking. That's what, you know, how can this guy approach me acting like I'm his best friend, his long-lost buddy, and I know what he just did. I prophesied it. I said somebody's about to betray me, 
And here he comes and he treats me like I'm his long lost friend, his best friend and everything else. There's no way that I could have had the restraint that Jesus shows right here. But the thing is, Jesus didn't just show restraint. Jesus showed love. Jesus hugged Judas back as well. It wasn't just that Judas hugged Jesus and Jesus was just standing there with His arms at His side saying, go ahead and hug Me. I know what you're about to do. Jesus reached His arms and embraced Him and welcomed that embrace. What tenderness we see from Jesus. What love that we see from Jesus. Even though that Jesus knew what Judas was up to. Even though Jesus understood and tried to warn Judas, He still showed him love. He still showed him forgiveness. He still showed him compassion. None of us deserve that. I don't deserve that. Judas didn't deserve it. But Jesus still is showing this wonderful love. And as we see, He asks him in verse 48, Are you come out as against a thief with swords and staves to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you took me not. But the Scriptures must be fulfilled. And they all forsook Him and fled. They all abandoned Jesus. They all left Him. He had told them, this night you're going to abandon Me. This night you're going to run away from Me. And we're going to come back to those verses, but Peter was saying, no, never, never, never. I'll never go away from you, Jesus. I'll never turn away from you. Notice what Jesus told them back in verse 27. We skipped over that, but let's go back there now and point this out because we're getting close to it. And Jesus said to them, Jesus already warned them. Notice what He warned them. All of you shall be offended. You all are going to be scattered because of Me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after that I am risen. I will go before you into Galilee. Peter said unto Him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. Jesus said unto him, Verily or truly, Peter, look, I say unto you, this day, even this night, before the cock, the rooster crows twice, you shall deny me thrice. Three times you're going to deny me before the rooster crows twice. Well, Judas betrays Jesus. All the rest forsake Jesus. They abandon Him. They lead Jesus away. He is a victim of injustice. I hesitate to use the word victim because he wasn't really the victim. He doesn't use that victim language. He's really the victor. And what they thought was treating him like a victim actually led to the greatest victory in all of human history. And what we see here is though many people in our society today talk about the injustice and all the injustice that we see in our systems of this nation and people speaking so much about injustice. Well, look at this sham trial that Jesus went through. People making up false accusations. Nobody could agree with each other. They all were just making up anything. And then they decided, okay, yes, let's kill Him. Let's kill Him. It was just a a total embarrassment of the justice system. And really, they didn't have the authority to put Him to death. Only Rome could do that. And so they had to bring Pilate into the mix uh, it was just a total sham. It's almost like vigilante justice, you know? And this posse comes up and they're trying to get him and they want to kill him, but they don't have the power to pull the trigger. And so they have to go and get the sheriff and say, you've got to be the one to pull the trigger, sheriff. Kill this guy. Get rid of this guy. We don't want him around anymore. And yet, uh, we see through all of this, Jesus doesn't say anything to them because He knows there's a bigger picture. There's something greater at work here. Uh, 
They abused Him, physically abused Him, slapping Him, taunting Him. All this He endured. Notice what He says. And it says in verse 60, the high priest stood up in the midst asking Jesus, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Aren't you going to say anything? Look at all that you're accused with. Aren't you going to say anything? What is it that these witnesses witness against you? But he held his peace. He answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him and said to him, Art thou the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power, coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes and said, Why do we need any further witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him to be guilty of death. And some began spitting on him and covering his face and buffeting and punching him and said unto him, Prophesy! And the servants struck him with the palms of their hands. And Peter was beneath the palace. There comes one of the maids of the high priest. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also was with Jesus. You were there with Jesus, weren't you? But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understood I what thou sayest. I don't understand what you're talking about. And he went out into the porch and the cock crew. There's the first crow of the rooster. The maid saw him again, began to say unto them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again, and said a little after, and they uh, stood by again, Peter. You are one of them. You are a Galilean. Your speech agreeeth there too. In other words, you got a weird accent. You know, you got that southern drawl. I know where you're from. Uh, you're not from around these parts. And so they say, uh, you got that accent. You're a Galilean. But he began to curse and to swear. He said, I swear on my mother's life. I, I swear on God. I swear on a stack of Bibles. You know, people say all these kinds of things. That's what he's doing. He's saying, you know, on my mother's life, I promise you, I don't know Jesus. I've never known Him. I'm just here for the show. I'm just passing along and I'm here in Jerusalem for the feast. I just wanted to see what all this is about. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom you speak. And the second time the rooster crowed, Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, thou shalt deny me thrice three times. And when he thought thereon, he wept. He was brokenhearted. He was so sorry and repentant over what he did. But I want us to get back to the heart of this chapter and to think about the place of Jesus in all of this. As I'm I'm winding these things down, I want to concentrate on Jesus and all that He endured. As He's there in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before all this took place, I'm going back to verse 32 now. He says to His disciples, Sit you here while I shall pray. Back in verse 32. And He takes with Him Peter, James, and John. He began to be sore amazed to be very heavy. Um, in our words today, that, that's a little bit awkward to get the meaning that we need and that we need to understand what it's saying today. Uh, basically, Jesus is in great distress at this moment. Uh, the word for very heavy, there's three words in the Bible that are used in relationship to depression. And this is the strongest of those three words related to depression. And so Jesus is fighting a very serious spiritual attack and a mental attack. And some people say that a a mental breakdown is a spiritual sin. Well, if that's the case, Jesus sinned in this moment. But He did not. Scripture clearly teaches us 
that He was without sin. And so we know when those bouts come and those problems come, that does not necessarily mean it's tied to sin because Jesus' distress, His anxiety, His depression was not tied to sin in His own personal life. The devil was attacking Him. The devil was trying to cause Him to quit, to defeat Him, to stamp Him out any way that He can. And the devil is trying to do the same thing in each one of our lives. He doesn't want us to be what Jesus wants us to be. He doesn't want us to be close to Jesus as we ought to be. He doesn't want us to experience that walk with Jesus. And He's doing everything He can. And the battle is in our minds. And Jesus is under severe mental strain in this hour. And at this moment, the wording here is as strong and as severe and as acute as it possibly can be when it's talking about the mental fatigue and the mental distress that Jesus is under, that load of pressure. I mean, think about it. Judas is about to betray Him. One of the twelve. And he's told Peter, he's told the disciples, you're about to leave Me. You're about to abandon Me. And they say, no way, no way, no way. We're with you all the way, Jesus. We're right by Your side every step of the way. He is left all alone. Notice what He tells them in verse 34. Jesus said to them, to Peter, James, and John, My soul, Myself, My, my identity, the very being, my deepest being, my soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. He said, I feel like I'm about to die under this load. And notice, uh, this is a, a good truth that really stood out to me too. Uh, Jesus wasn't afraid to admit to His close friends where He was and the fact that He needed some help. He needed somebody to pray with Him and somebody to pray for Him. Jesus didn't just hide it under His vest and say, I'm Jesus after all. I'm the Son of Man, the Son of God. I'm hiding this. Nobody else needs to see this. Uh, It's no good to tell anybody. Uh, They can't really pray for me. They won't pray for me. They're going to abandon me in a little bit. I know that they're about to leave me. I know they're about to abandon me. I know they're about to do away with me. And so, I'm just going to hide it under my vest. I'm going to tuck it all in. And I'm just going to go and ignore Peter, James, and John. I'm going to just do away with them and ignore them and hide it inside. No, Jesus doesn't do that. And that's a great example for us too. Trust in and confide in those that you can trust. Those that will pray with you and pray for you. He he tells them what He's feeling. He's raw with them. He's open to them. My soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. I feel like I'm about to die under this weight. I feel like it's crushing me. They're in that garden of Gethsemane. That's an olive press. Literally, the olives were pressed and crushed until the olive oil was extracted. And He's going through that crushing in that garden of Gethsemane. He's under this intense mental strain. And He opens up to His disciples about that and asks them to pray with Him. He says, tarry ye here. Stay with Me and watch. He doesn't say preach me a sermon. He doesn't say tell me some advice, call Dr. Phil or anything like that. He says, no, stay with me and watch. And he went forward a little and he fell on the ground. In the Jewish culture of this day, it was typical when they prayed, they would pray standing. They would pray looking up to the heaven. Maybe their arms opened up looking up to heaven as they prayed. We say bow your heads and close your eyes in their culture today, but they would pray looking upwards. And Jesus lands down on the ground and goes straight to the Father. 
in prayer. And he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, Abba, that's Daddy. That close relationship that he had with the Father, Daddy. Father, all things are possible unto thee. You can do anything you want to, God. Take away this cup from me. Take this away. You know, you think about that cup that Jesus was about to drink. I think it's a picture of the wrath of God that was poured out on sin. Jesus knew what was coming. He's under this intense mental strain. He knows that Judas is about to betray Him. I mean, think about this. Put yourself in Jesus' shoes for a few minutes here. And think about this. All of your best friends are surrounding you at the moment and you know that one is going to betray you, one is going to deny you, they all are going to abandon you. Where's the 5,000 that Jesus fed? Where's the 4,000 men that Jesus fed the second time? Where's blind Bartimaeus that He healed and that went with Him up into Jerusalem? Where's everybody else? Uh, Where have they gone? And Jesus is alone in the garden, His face in the dirt, crying out to God the Father. His closest friends, Peter, James, and John, they couldn't even stay awake. They're falling asleep. Uh, They don't watch and pray with Jesus. He comes back to them to see what they're doing. And they're dead asleep there on the ground. He said, I told you, I need you to be up praying for me. Watch and pray. Help me. Pray for me. Pray for yourselves. And all they can do is sleep. Yes, they're exhausted, but in this hour, Jesus knows there's something much more important. And that cup that He's got to drink of, that betrayal, that denial, that loneliness. And think about all that Jesus is going through right here as He's facing this cup of wrath poured out. All the strain that He is under. And as you go through your life and as you go through ministry and you think about family and you think about all these things, think about what it feels to be betrayed by somebody that you love. Jesus says, I did miracles. I healed all these people. Where are they? They're nowhere to be found. I poured my life for three straight years into these twelve. One is about to betray me. He does not believe in me. Another is about one of the greatest leaders that I have. He's about to deny that he even knows me. And all of this is just adding up. Can you imagine being Jesus? I mean, if I was Jesus, I would just say, no, I don't want this. I quit. The game's up. I quit this. I don't want to be around this anymore. I'm giving up on this. You know, God just take that cup and throw it away. I'll get that later. You know, get rid of this cup. I don't want this cup. I'm tired of this. I don't want this strain. I don't want this pressure. I don't want to be under this anymore. I'm tapping out. I'm done. I'm finished. This cup is too much for me. But notice what Jesus says in His prayer. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what Thou wilt. Jesus held on to that cup. i got an empty bottle here. Jesus held on to the cup. And He said, no, I'm going to drink that cup, Lord. And notice what He said, nevertheless. Can I say this as I'm wrapping up today? Is that some of us here today, today is your nevertheless day. Today is the day that you say nevertheless. What is this nevertheless? It's the day when He says, not what I want, but what you want, Father. Not my plan, not my suffering, not my pain. If it means that the great victory comes through drinking this cup and drinking it dry, then so be it, Lord. Not what I want, but what You want. And 
many of us may need to say that to Jesus today. Nevertheless, you know, Brother Rick was a great example of this, I think, because uh, he was a man who went through pain and suffering for five years, over five years, battling cancer. And none of us really know uh, all the pain and the suffering that he went through physically. And he kept such a joyful attitude. He kept exalting Jesus. He kept uh, bragging on Jesus and thanking God for Jesus and all that Jesus was, even through excruciating pain. That was the cup that God had for Brother Rick for a season of time and for a testimony of the goodness of God to other people. And we each one have a cup that is set before us. Not a cup of God's wrath. Thank God for that. God's wrath was satisfied in Jesus. He drank it down to the very last drop. We don't have to face the wrath of God because Jesus did. But we do walk a road of suffering. We do walk a road of pain. We do walk a road of mental anguish like Jesus did. We have that cup that is set before us. And we have to say, Lord, I've been fighting against You this whole time. I've been trying to throw it away. I've been trying to get rid of this cup. I don't want this cup. God, what are You doing? Why are You doing this? Why is this happening to me? Why am I going through these things? These aren't bad questions to ask, but if it leads us to doubt, then we've gone the wrong way. When we need to find the answer just as Jesus did to say, right here, right now, I see Your plan. I want Your will. Jesus knew the cross was the way to the victory. He is alive. They sang that powerful anthem of Jesus is alive. All the pain that He went through. All the mental anguish. All the turmoil. Not just the physical suffering of the cross, but the mental anguish, the rejection, the betrayal, the denial. And we have this Savior who drank that cup for you. He drank that for me. I couldn't do that on my own. I can't pay for my sins on my own. But Jesus took that. He drank it all down to the very last drop for you, for me, and for all who will believe. And I praise His wonderful name for that. In the midst of all of this, He kept His eyes focused on the Father. And that's where we need to be today, keeping our eyes fixed on the Father. Maybe some of you have never called out to Jesus and made Him your personal Lord and Savior. That needs to be your nevertheless statement. Jesus, I've been excusing myself because, well, there's hypocrites down at the church, and there's this down at the church, and there's that down at the church, and, and you know about this one and that one. Look at Peter. He denied Jesus. Look at this one. Look at Judas. He, he betrayed Jesus. I can't go to a place like that. I can't be around a group of people like that. I'm not going to be associated with those kinds of people. Mary, who there at the feet of Jesus, anointing His head with this beautiful vial and pours it out on Him in an act of worship. She wasn't concerned about that. And we need to look and see Jesus. Not looking around at everybody else because we are all imperfect people. But we have a perfect Savior and a One who loved us and died for us. So if you do not know Jesus as your Savior, that's where you need to be today. Nevertheless, I'm going to stop giving excuses. I'm going to stop pointing fingers. I'm going to stop uh, blaming everybody else for why I'm not a Christian. And I'm going to put my faith and trust in Him. But it may be that some of us today have been saying that to God and we've been under the squeeze. We've been in that olive press. We've been squeezed and we've been pressed and we feel like we're going through the ringer. 
And life is just draining us and it's squeezing us to the very last of all that we have. And we are there with Jesus in that agonizing garden. He says, God, You are able to take this away. You have the power to take this away. But not what I want, but what You want. This needs to be Your nevertheless day. For whatever that you have been faced with, that pressing that you're going through. I don't know what life has thrown at you this week. I don't know all that you have been through this week. But I do know the perspective that we need to have based on God's Word. And we need to turn in those moments to Jesus and look unto Him. And so I invite you to do that today. To put your faith and trust in Him if you never have. And to make this your nevertheless day. Let's have a time of prayer an invitation, and then we'll be partaking in the Lord's Supper as a reflection on this beautiful sacrifice that our Lord made for us. Heavenly Father, we bow before You today, and I just stand in awe. I'm just overwhelmed when I, and just totally amazed at all that Jesus endured even before He went to the cross, that road of suffering that You took for me and for all of these who are here with us today, for everyone who's watching online, For everyone all across planet earth, You took our place. You satisfied the wrath of God. I thank You for that. All the sins of humanity were laid on Jesus on the cross. He was willing to take that cup and to surrender Himself into the arms of God. Lord, I pray that today would be the nevertheless day for those who are here. Lord, they may have never trusted You as their Savior. I pray first and foremost for them that today would be the day that they stop making excuses for why they haven't trusted Jesus. And that they say, today needs to be the day that I say not my will, Lord, but Yours. I surrender to You. I receive Jesus as my Savior. I trust in what He did for me. Let today be that day. And for those of us who have believed in Jesus, And we've been through the squeeze. We've been under the pressure. We've been under the olive press like the Garden of Gethsemane. Lord, that today would be the day that they say, nevertheless, not what I want, but Your will be done. Just as Peter did, excuse me, as Paul did in Corinthians when he said, "I, I prayed three times for God to remove this thorn in the flesh from me. You came to him, dear Lord, and you told him, No, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul got to the place where he could confidently say, Most gladly, therefore, will I brag and boast in my weaknesses. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that in our weakness, that you become our strength. And Lord, be that strength for these who are struggling. I know that I had to get on my knees early this morning even as you convicted me again through this passage. Saying, Josh, you've got to have a nevertheless moment before you encourage other people to do it. And Lord, I know that you spoke to me so clearly. And early this morning before the sun was up, I was on my knees just telling you and confessing these things to you that I needed in my own heart, in my own life. Thank you, God, for how that you have helped me and spoken to me so clearly out of this passage. And I know you're doing the same across this auditorium and online as well. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Let's remain seated with her heads bowed and eyes closed.
We're going to have just a, a, a time of response, a time of invitation to give you the opportunity to respond to what God is speaking to your heart. Let me begin first and foremost speaking to those of you who say, I know today God has spoken to my heart. I've never put my faith and trust in Jesus. I've been making excuses and I know that I am not a Christian. I've never asked Jesus to be my Savior. But I would like to today. I want to surrender my life to Him and give my life to Him. If there is anyone who would say, that's me. I want to trust Jesus today. I've never asked Him to save me before, but I want to ask Him to be my Savior today. If that's you, would you just show me by simply raising your hand at this moment while we wait just a second. We won't wait long, but just give you the opportunity to respond. I want to be sure I don't miss anyone for just a second. Let me have a word of prayer for those who may be watching online as well who have their hands raised even at home. Dear Lord, I pray that You would go to the hearts of those who are watching, those who are here with us. They're wrestling with these things. They're struggling with issues of their soul salvation. I pray that You would help them to reach out to us or to someone that they know that knows the Word of God and can point them the right way. Help them to know for sure today that You are their Savior. In Jesus' name, Amen. And one more question while your heads are bowed. And for those of you who say, yes, I've been through the press, and today God has told me that this is my nevertheless moment, that I need to surrender again to God's will, to God's plan for my life. If that's you, maybe you want to slip forward to the altar. Maybe you'd like to show me just by raising your hand where you are right now as we wait just a moment. Some have come already to the altar to pray. You may want to raise a hand. You may want to come to the altar. And you can do whatever you want to do. Let me have a time of prayer for those who are seeking God on this behalf. Lord, I don't know all the pain and all the suffering and all the hardships and all the circumstances that those before me are dealing with. I know that we all have them. And it all comes in many shapes and sizes and forms. And I pray for whatever that they're going through. They're questioning You. They're, they're wondering, what are You up to? Oh, I've been there. I've been there many times in my Christian life wondering, what are you up to, God? Why this? Why me? Why now? Why are these things happening this way? Lord, I pray that those questions would lead them to the feet of the God who has the answers. That it would not lead them to turn away from God in doubt and fear and frustration, but they would take that fear and that frustration to the feet of the One who can do something about it. Lord, I pray that they would find deliverance today. I, I pray that as Jesus, when He left prayer, it didn't get better like a magic wand. He still faced betrayal. He still faced denial from His best friend, we could say, Peter. Lord, it didn't turn around right away for Jesus. He still had to face the cross. The worst was still to come. And yet He knew He could trust you through it all. And on that third and glorious day, the stone rolled away and up from the grave He arose. He is alive. He is alive. And I praise God that that victory came through the agony of the cross. And we praise the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus. Let us follow His example. If it means a road of suffering, if it means a road of hardship, if it means a road of pain, if it means that bitter cup that we don't want to drink, but we know that You are with us every step of the way. Help these who are seeking You today. May they find in Jesus all that their soul needs. In His beautiful name we pray.
Amen and amen. Pastor Brad.